we are starting a new series today called "Who Is He?" You've got to you've got to have the upper inflection at the end of your sentence when you say ask a question. Who is he? Um, and so I want to see how clever you are this morning, how awake you're feeling. I've had two coffees already, so I'm very awake. And uh, I want to see how awake you guys are. Plus, I've been exercising because, you know, when you help sit up, you get your, you get your energy going. So I've got my, my hormones going, my energy. And I want to see if you can tell me what one of the, what's the commonality between these sentences. So let me see if I bring them up here. Here we go. There's four, four sayings, right? Let's see. God will never give you more than you can handle. This too shall pass. Cleanliness is next to godliness. God helps those who help themselves. Okay, what's the common theme in those, those things, right? Any ideas? Any, this is a bit of an interactive time. It's okay. We can talk. We can, uh, we can interact. It doesn't always happen. Hey, very good. They are what I like to call Bible-ish verses, right? That is, they sound very close to something that is in the Bible, but they're not actually in the Bible, okay? I actually heard a professor who likes to make up quotes and put fake uh, Bible books in front of that to see if people will go, hold on a second, that's not in the Bible. He's a theology professor, so he says, you know, Thou, there shall be no mechanical instruments in heaven, says the book of Hezekiah, chapter 4, verse 15. And he's like, just, you know, does anyone actually pick up this no book of Hezekiah in the Bible? Most of them don't catch on. You know, these theology students, they're not really onto it. Um, and the reason is because he said they don't actually read the Bible. So they don't know what's in there. But that's how you know what's fake, isn't it? I mean, to be fair, I did theology for... Um, for ooh, almost 10 years and at lay law, and you can go through a theology degree without ever reading the Bible. It's true. You can. Um, but if you want to recognize the fake, you have to study the real thing. And so people don't read the Bible, so they don't understand that. These sayings, they sound very close to what's in the Bible, um, but they're not actually there. Uh, a lot of them were just kind of made up by people um, like um, cleanliness is next to godliness. John Wesley came up with that one. So there you go. God helps those who help themselves. I think that was um, either Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson, one of those two guys. We've all had the wool pulled over our eyes before, right? We don't like to, you know, we're we're very aware of very public figures who have uh, said one thing and done something else, right? The most famous example of this in the Christian world happened just earlier this year. Do you, do you remember who it was? Very famous man. Passed away last year. Uh, Ravi Zacharias. Do you guys know what happened? All the, the allegations that were leveled against him by people, just making sure there's no under-18s here that can understand me, right? Um, because he was accused of sexually abusing and assaulting multiple women over many years. Um, and they did a, um, his, uh, in his ministry, uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, hired independent investigators to investigate these claims, and they found out that they were true, having looked through his phone records and his uh, computers and laptops and tablets and everything like this. Um, they've been verified in a long report that they made publicly available on their website, so if you want to see it. But here's a man who looked one way in public, right? Said one thing in public, uh, portrayed himself as one way, yet he was completely different in his private 
life. And we've all been, uh, we, you know, throughout history, there have been people like this who claim uh, one way of life but live another way. And the best way to know something about someone or to, to evaluate someone is to listen to what they have to say and then see if their actions match up with that. And in his case, they didn't. But we want to look at Jesus this morning. We want to take a look at who did Jesus say he was and how did his actions match up with what he said he was because we don't want to have the wool pulled over our eyes and we want to make sure that we understand the Jesus that we're following is the Jesus that, um, that is in the Bible, that he said he was and that is the real Jesus. And so if, what do people think of Jesus out there in New Zealand society? Well, there was a survey done a few years ago, and uh, they found that this is what people associate with Jesus. The top five Jesus association words. No, I don't think there's many surprises there, right? Love, hope, truth is a little bit surprising because I didn't think people really believed in, in truth these days too much. Care and strength. Interestingly, salvation is number nine on the list. Um, which is very interesting. It made the top 10, but it didn't get a top five spot. Um, They think he was a real person, which is great. They think he existed, because a lot of people uh, don't think that uh, Jesus was a real person. They even think that Jesus was important historically, but just not important in their own lives. And so we want to make sure that we are uh, aware that, you know, are these words that people associate with Jesus, are they the correct words that we should associate with Jesus? Are they the things that Jesus said about himself? Are they the things that Jesus did? Are they the, the way that he lived? Do they match up with what people think about him? And so we're going to spend some time looking at one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, written by a close friend of his who uh, spent time with him and who heard and recorded the things that he said and the things that he did. And we're going to see if they match up with what people think, what we think, and uh, if they match up with each other. So we're going to look at the Gospel of John. And in particular, we're going to look at seven statements that Jesus made about himself, claims, absolute claims that he made about himself. We're going to look at what those claims mean and uh, what Jesus did to back them up. So I'm going to, they're, they're all prefaced by this statement, I am, right? And you probably know some of these. You might know all of them. Um, and they're all prefaced by the statement, I am, and then Jesus makes a claim about himself. And here's the seven statements. So, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I usually forget that one, the door, because it's like an, an inanimate object. <laughs> the door, it's an odd thing to claim to be. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And this morning, we're going to actually look at none of these (laughs) this morning. We're going to look at uh, a foundational statement this morning about who Jesus said he was. It's still in John's gospel. We're in John chapter 8 this morning. So if you, the word, the verses will be on the screen, but if you want to go there in your Bible, you can. Um, And this foundational one is going to filter for us how we see all of these other ones. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, how are we going to understand that? What sort of. difference is it going to make to our understanding of that statement when he says any of these other ones. So we're going to pray and then we're going to read from John chapter 8 verses 48 to 59. So Lord Jesus, as we come to consider and we embark on this journey of looking at who you are, looking at how you uh, want to be known, the claims that you made, the, the deeds that you did, Lord, may we 
uh, come with uh, humble hearts. May we come with open minds. And may we come with sensitive spirits to hear what you are saying to us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so John uh, 8.48. We'll give some context at the end of this. Um, John chapter 8.48. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? It's a great way to start a conversation. I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Blank slide. There we go. Then the Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you claim to be? I love how Jesus never directly answers a question. Hey, he's just like, well, if I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him. It's a big call, right? But I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. Ooh, it's getting really heated here, isn't it? But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Right, so there's a long discussion. This is uh, chapter 8, there's 58, 59 verses, and there's a long discussion that starts in this. And they're talking about who Jesus is and who the witnesses are to his identity. Because under the Jewish law, you had to have two witnesses. So Jesus says, look, I bear witness, but also my father bears witness. And later on, he'll say, my works also bear witness to me. And then they talk about parentage. Okay, And just before this, the, 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 the Jews say to him, well... At least we were not born of sexual immorality, you know, because they're like, well, Jesus, you don't have a dad, you know, because you're, you know, they're, they're referring to his parentage, calling him a bastard, you know, um, which is the technical term. I'm not, I'm using it in a technical sense. Um, and, uh, you know, being born out of wedlock, which is a low blow, isn't it? It's saying, well, Jesus, you don't even know who your dad is. Uh, we know our father's Abraham. And so then it kind of ends in this, um, this, exchange here. And then they pick up stones to stone him, to kill him. They want to kill Jesus. Now, is it because he called them the the sons of the devil? <laughs> is it because he said that they didn't know God? Is it because he said they were liars? No, it's because of these two words here, right? I am. That's why. There's a lot in these two words. We're going to unpack these words and what they mean, because he says, before Abraham was, I am, which sounds diff, diff, weird, right? Because he, he, you would normally say, before Abraham was, I was. But he says, before Abraham was, I am. And so we're going to unpack four aspects of these two words and keep these in mind as we go through the rest of the series. So the first thing that Jesus is claiming is that he is God, right? That's the first thing that he's saying. And this is why they wanted to kill him, because the penalty for blasphemy in the law was stoning to death. 
and they try and do it again in John chapter 10, verse 33. We are, so he says, what, you know, they pick up stones to stone him, and Jesus is like, well, what, are you, what of my good works are you going to kill me for? And they're like, well, no, not for your good works, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Okay? So they knew exactly what Jesus was saying in those two words. They knew what he was talking about, and they decided that he has to die. Now, you imagine how it might feel to hear someone claim that they're God, right? And you can get an idea. I'd let you know there's an Australian man who claims that he's God, right? Uh, They did a documentary on him about uh, 10 years ago now. I'm going to play a short clip, and you just, just let it kind of hit you and experience the feeling of that and imagine how the the Jewish audience of Jesus at the time would feel. Okay, so I hope there's volume here. Let's see. The leader is this man. My name's Alan John Miller, but but I'm, I'm actually Jesus. I remember... All of the events of my crucifixion, I understood what was going on. I understood the reason for my death. And he's collecting disciples. Miller has convinced them that they were with him at his crucifixion. I went to get the spike and smash it into his hands. And just so much love had come from him. So I couldn't do it. It was excruciating to watch basically the annihilation of the person that I love the most. <laughs> I think about him now, I just cry. I'm starting to have a, a soul, like an emotional realization of who he is. I'm Jesus, deal with it. Okay, like, what, how do you feel seeing something like that and seeing the kind of reactions that people have to him? Like, you know, somehow he's convinced these people that they in another life, were there involved in his crucifixion, witnessing his crucifixion, and that he's Jesus. Someone claims to be Jesus, you go, oh, it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, a bit uneasy, a bit weird, a bit like maybe you're out of touch with reality, you're a bit crazy. Uh, but that's how the Pharisees would have thought about Jesus, exactly like that. This guy claims to be Jesus. We're like, well, we know when Jesus comes back, it's not going to be the outback of Australia. Um, I mean, he grew his hair long like Jesus, didn't he? But uh, but they, they would think this man's gone mental, right? He's claiming to be God, especially since Jesus is referencing one of the most famous stories in uh, the Jewish Bible, in the Torah. He's, he's referencing the story of the burning bush, right? This is where God reveals his name to Moses. I'm just going to find my... I've got lots of, here we go. Um, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. All right. So anytime we hear one of these statements, I am the bread of life, you have to keep in mind, Jesus is saying, I am. This is who I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We need to understand that's what Jesus is claiming about himself. Okay, one of the the church fathers, uh, John Chrysostom, he put it like this. But wherefore he said not before Abraham was, I was, instead of I am. So basically, in modern English, he's saying, why didn't he just say I was instead of I am? 
As the Father uses this expression, I am, in the Exodus story, so also does Christ, for it signifies continuous being irrespective of all time, on which account the expression seemed to them to be blasphemous. For people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God, they should go and have a look at uh, John chapter 8, verse 58, because that's where he says, before Abraham was, I am. And he's referencing the story of um, the Exodus. But what does it mean for us? It means that we are following, listening to, worshiping in relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus. Jesus is claiming equality with God. That's what he's saying, and that's what we need to pay attention to. We need to pay attention to what Jesus says because he's claiming to have existed before all time, to share in the divine nature, to be God. That's big stuff, right? That's huge. That changes everything if it's true. And spoiler alert, it's true, right? Jesus is God, okay? And we'll look at why that's the case and how we know that's true in a little bit. The second thing that he says is that he is the Savior or the Messiah. And he's recalling for people in saying, before Abraham was, I am. He's recalling uh, the whole of the Exodus story, right? That's the start of the Exodus story where God calls Moses out of the burning bush and kind of puts him you know, anoints him for the work of the Exodus. And so when Jesus says that, he's referencing the whole story. Same as when he quotes Psalm 22 on the cross. He quotes the first verse, but he's referencing the entire psalm. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's just kind of saying, guys, remember, look back to Psalm 22. That's a prophetic psalm of my crucifixion. We do the same thing, uh, for example, with uh, if I say to you, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Star Wars, right? And you know the whole story. If you've seen Star Wars, you know the whole story. It brings to mind that whole saga that's gone on for like 40 years now of of what happened in that. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's identifying himself with God and with the acts of God in that story. He's saying, I'm the God who called Moses. I was present in that burning bush and I was present in the saving works. And so in that, he's claiming that this is part of what he said, right? This is later in the verses there, chapter 3, when God calls Moses. The Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from the land from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So that's, Jesus is saying that these are the things that he's associated with, these acts of deliverance, delivering people from slavery. The saving acts of God in the past are also his acts. And again, this kind of blows your mind when you think about it and you think about the people listening to this and going, this man is claiming that he was involved in the salvation of our people from slavery in Egypt. But here in this context, when he's saying, you know, I am and I am the Savior, he's talking about saving us from sin. Earlier in the the chapter, he clarifies, he says, you know, because he says, um, I, I will make you free. And they said, well, we've never been enslaved. And he says, well, I tell you, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. He's talking about slavery 
to sin. And so each time we read one of these I am statements, we need to understand that when Jesus claims the title of I am, he's also saying that he's the one who's come to set us free. He's the one who delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt, and he has come to deliver us from slavery to sin as well. Just like John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is claiming to be God and to be Savior, the one who will deliver us from our sins. And so we need to keep these in mind as we go through these other statements because they are the foundation of of what we are going to be talking about. Then Jesus claims to be eternal. He's saying that he's always existed. There are several places in the Old Testament that, that theologians point to where they believe that Jesus actually showed up in the Old Testament. Um, do you guys know any of those those places? The technical name for them is Theophanies. It's not actually in the, in the Bible, but it's the technical name for an appearance of God, of a God. Um, yep, that's one. That's one on my list. Good on you, Dean. So in the furnace where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the furnace, and then uh, turns up and uh, they look and they say, didn't we throw three three people in there? Yeah, but there's I see a fourth one, and he looks like a son of the gods or one of the gods. Um, just before Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, the commander of the armies of the Lord comes, and people identify him with Jesus. And I'll tell you why, uh, three reasons why in, in a minute. There's another one. When Samson's parents, uh, before Samson was conceived, they received a visit from the angel of the Lord. People believe that that was a manifestation of Jesus. Uh, and then the three men that visited um, Abraham or Abram before they went on to punish the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, The reason that these appearances are identified as Jesus is because they identified um, not as the Lord, which is a title reserved for the Father. So they're not uh, identified as just the same person, another manifestation of God, Yahweh. But they also freely receive worship. So when angels appear to people in the Old Testament, usually like in Ezekiel or whatever or Daniel, they'll fall down at the feet of angels and they'll go, oh, and the angels will pick them up and say, no, no, don't worship me. I'm not God. You know, worship God. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? And so they're just like, no, don't do that. But the angel of the Lord, for example, that appeared to Samson's parents received worship, the burnt offering of a young goat, and, you know, flew up in the flames of uh, of the worship. They receive worship. Then they're identified as being God. So, for example, um, in the Abraham story, uh, a, the, the three people are identified as the Lord, right? All three of them. Um, in, uh, so, also the commander of the army of the Lord, he receives worship from uh, Joshua, who falls down on his face and worships him. And he doesn't say, Look, get up because I'm not God. Don't worship me. Samson's parents also, after saying, um, seeing this angel of the Lord fly up in the flames of the offering, receiving their offering, Samson's parents, his dad says, we're certainly going to die. Why? Because we have seen God. So they're identified as um, God, but they're not God the Father, so they must be someone else. So the only other entity that has a physical body in the Trinity is Jesus, the Son. The Holy Spirit, obviously, is spirit. 
There was this great uh, TV series uh, a few years ago now, the Bible TV series. Do you ever see any of the episodes of this? They were very clever about this. They caught on to this because they have an episode where Lot is rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah, and they they send in the two um, beings to uh, rescue him. And uh, there's some martial arts that go on, which is pretty, I think, creative license there. There's flipping and throwing and kicking and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if that actually happened. Um, but uh, one of the people who was cast as one of those angels, if you look, and then later you go and see, it's this guy here who's played Jesus, right? And they're referencing the fact that there are times in the Old Testament that Jesus shows up and he helps people. It's very clever. Jesus is saying, I have always existed and I have appeared in the past. That's why the, the, the Pharisees are saying, but you're not even 50, which apparently is really old. For those guys, you're not even 50 years old. You haven't even seen Abraham. How can you have seen him? And Jesus is saying, well, I've always existed. And you remember when um, Abraham made a covenant with God and he cut the, the animals in half and then he lay down, he had a dream. And then there was two, I think it was a pot and a torch, smoking pot and a smoking torch that went between the two animals. Um, those sort of things are manifestations of God. And so Jesus is present at all of these moments of manifestation. So we need to keep in mind that that's what Jesus is saying about himself. And then finally, what he's saying in referencing the story of the Exodus is that he is holy. Because what did God say as Moses approached the burning bush? What did he say? Do not come closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, why was the ground around that burning bush holy? Was it just because that had always been holy, that cave or that place where the bush was? No, it was because it had been made holy by God's presence. His being there sanctified and made it holy and meant that Moses had to take off his sandals. So if Moses went back three days later and there's no no burning bush, it's like, well, it's not holy anymore because God's presence isn't there. And Jesus is saying in the same way, when I was there, that place was holy. I am here now. I am holy. I am the presence of God. I embody that presence. He says that later as well. When um, Thomas, I think it's Thomas, maybe it's Andrew, says to him, show us the Father. And what does Jesus say? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Right? He's saying, that he is the presence of God here on earth. He says it again as well when he talks about um, knocking down the temple. He says to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. And they're like, it's taken 47 years to build this temple, and you'll build it in three days. And John has this little in brackets where he says, but they did, later they realized he was talking about the temple of his body. And you remember the temple is the place that housed God's presence. So when Jesus refers to his body as the temple, He's talking about the fact that he is the presence of God. It's the same with us. When the Holy Spirit dwells in us, he sets us apart, sanctifies us, makes us holy as temples of the living God. So Jesus is saying that he is perfect. He is holy. He is other. And he needed to be in order to fulfill the mission that he was sent for, to atone for our sin. And it's interesting that in this passage, John chapter 8, the, the nation has just se- celebrated the Passover festival. And they've celebrated not the Passover, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. 
And so they have this whole ceremony, you know, the ceremony where they have the lamb that comes and they let the high priest lays his hand on it and transfers the sin of the nation to the lamb. And then it's slaughtered to make atonement for them. And then there's the other goat, I think, that's sent out into the desert, into the wilderness um, as, an, as an offering as well. So they would have been thinking about all of these things, about atonement and holiness and the shedding of blood for sins and things like that. So this is all in their minds as Jesus is saying, I am this holy person. So when we consider the claims of Jesus, especially this one, along with some of the other ones, it's no wonder that people picked up stones to stone him to death. I mean, he was making outrageous claims about himself, about him being God. And they just like, no, that's not how it's going to happen. Like, God is not going to come like this. The Messiah is not going to be like this. He's going to be someone else. He's going to be this great military leader, or he's going to be this great king, or this great priest. He's not going to be some rabbi whose dad we don't even know from this place we've never even heard of before. But at the end of John's gospel, we find that Jesus' words are vindicated. And that's what the resurrection does. And we've talked about this before, how the resurrection, the fact that Jesus came back to life after death, vindicates and validates the things that he said about himself in life. He rises from the dead, he conquers the grave, and our final resting place is not final anymore. Our hope is that we will be as Jesus is now. And it's all made possible because of these claims, starting with the I am, starting with I am God. Because if God hadn't done it, it wouldn't happen. We wouldn't be saved. So we're going to explore over the next three weeks what it means. And I encourage you uh, to share with other people because we're learning about Jesus and who Jesus is and the claims that he made about himself. People might have questions. I'd encourage you to, to share, to invite them along to see, look, we're looking at who Jesus was right now and the things that he claimed to be. But that's for the next few weeks. This morning, as uh, Michaela comes to lead us and we come to respond to Jesus' statement of I am, I want to encourage you to take some time to reflect. Reflect on who Jesus is. Who, who is it that you've thought Jesus is? How does the fact that he claims to be God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the savior, the all-powerful, eternally existent one, the one who paid for us to be redeemed, how does that affect how you see him? Think about the impact that these revelations of Jesus had made on the people who witnessed this. And then think about how Jesus revealed himself to John after he had ascended in the book of Revelation. We just read from Revelation chapter 1 and uh, experience a little bit of the risen Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet. Now, I play the trumpet, and the trumpets are very loud, and I can't imagine someone standing behind me and blasting a trumpet. It would be very, very loud. Saying, Write on a scroll what I see, what, what you see, and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, Jesus. 
dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. It's pretty like the weight of that presence. You can imagine that. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. The most repeated command in the Bible, right? Come face to face with God. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's who Jesus is.